0: Joined by the great Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle, Jonathan, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. The great always surprises you. We've done so many of these, (laughs) and it always (laughs) seems to surprise you.
1: Yes, it does. Well, I don't like introduce myself like that, and so no. I maybe I should. That would be cool, but no. I I think
0: you have the license to, man. Like I, I I think you have a lot of respect among journalists especially in the basketball community I think no one's going to blink an eye if you say that
1: well, you know what's interesting I thank you that's uh, kind of you to say uh I don't think of myself of course not that way but I will say uh Mark Murphy or <clears throat> the great Mark Murphy of the Boston Herald announced he's retiring and so now I th- And, you know, for a lot of years, I don't know if he was on the beat or the backup or co-beat, or, but he, he certainly goes back to the Larry Bird era uh, of the Celtics as a beat guy. So now I think, I'm not sure, but I think I'm the second most tenured beat guy in the NBA. Who's got your uh, beat? Ira Winderman who okay. is, yeah. has covered the Miami Heat since there have been Miami Heat. And so uh, he's, got, he's getting younger all the time. So uh, good for Ira. and uh, But I, I might be wrong about that. But in terms of continued time on one beat, I'm pretty sure. I and mean, in my case, as you know, that's because I love it. Uh, I ended up on a beat that I love covering. Uh, to me there's every day in the arena is a good day. And so uh, that's where I, I'm really, I know how lucky I am.
0: Right. It's certainly been one of the most interesting beats in the NBA. It's not like Charlotte <laughs> or something. It's like actual, there's like a story that's there to cover all the time, whether they're good or bad. And they've seldom been bad, which is, which is only added to the intrigue.
1: Um Well, you know, when I got on the beat, 1998 uh fran blindberry who was a columnist great columnist uh, at the chronicle for many years told me about it we were doing a radio show uh he was doing every day i was doing monday mornings and friday afternoons and he told me about it and said uh, that i was going to succeed eddie sefko eddie decided to go cover golf uh for he covered five years of the tiger Reign. And Franz Woods were, and the Rockets, they'll never be the Atlanta Hawks. They'll they're do everything. I don't know why he picked the Hawks. I don't remember what they were doing in the late 90s, but they'll always go for it. they They don't settle for the middle. And they've had so many changes in the 20-something years since then, but that's still true. They're never just sort of in the middle and okay with that and make the playoffs and sell some tickets. Uh, They're willing to scrape the bottom as a way to get to the top, but they do at least try. Of course, I went about 17 years where they never won a playoff series, but, you know, they, they do dare greatly.
0: And even when they were in the middle, they were in the middle for like three years there for a second. They weren't really in the middle because unlike those other middle teams, they were preparing to try to get into the top slowly, but slowly churning assets in the background, trying to eventually obviously lead to the James Harden trade.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was driving and I thought, remember, what was it about four years ago, the Rockets offered four first round picks for Jimmy Butler. Yeah, and, and there was a gas, you know, gasp around the basketball community. Now it's like, eh, only four? You know, there's not, no pick swaps attached. You know, just anybody who gets traded, well, not anybody, but a all-star gets traded. It, it's got to be. We're going to load up with a load of picks to get them.
0: Yeah, and it almost seems like Houston knew for the longest time what the value of these of these star players were, and they were prepared to pay for that. Value Because they knew like what they're currently being traded for is under market value. Now we've gotten to a point where perhaps it's tipping to maybe over market value in some cases, not all of them, but it's self-corrected, I think. And part of that, it's on, on Daryl, I think. I'm going to give Daryl credit to a part of that because he he definitely, you know, had an idea of mind of what a star player should be worth market-wise. And that's kind of come to fruition in a lot of cases.
1: That and, you know, a former Rockets front office guy under Daryl, although he was here before Darrell, Sam doing the other end of it, which was, look, if you're going to rebuild, go for it. Collect as many picks as you could possibly get, because that gives you the best chance of one of those picks panning out to be, in this case, Joel Embiid. They're not all going to be him, you know, the, the, Michael Carter-Williams in there, who was a rookie of the year, but he's not going to be the kind of guy who changes your life. And now you look at the Rockets, Thunder, Jazz, the, the thinking has become, yeah, get as many unprotected picks as possible because that gives you the best chance. You know, as many lottery tickets as you can get is a better chance of winning the lottery.
0: And that's kind of where I wanted to start the show because the last time you were on, Kevin Durant, I believe, had requested his trade or like was very close to requesting his trade. It, it was going to happen a few days later. If, it was, if not, it, it might have already happened. And now that's changed. He's staying in Brooklyn. How does that change the way you think of the Brooklyn picks that
1: Houston owns? Well, it kind of goes back to what they were, that they're down the road, have to see what they become so far out because this year or the next draft, the Rockets don't have a Brooklyn pick. It's subsequent. This is sort of like go to marriage counseling, try and give it one more shot. I don't know that this is love that's built to last forever. And so we'll see what happens. What a Um, way
0: of phrasing that. (laughs) Like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can those two crazy kids make it? I don't know. You know, and then that becomes the question. You know, if, okay, we gave it a shot and we got blown out in the first round again, uh, you know, and I asked for a trade. He didn't give it to me or couldn't get it, whatever. I came back now, deliver. Not to mention if they flame out, does Kyrie leave? You know, it's hard to predict any of this because Durant has never made it clear why he wanted out. I've heard some things, but whatever it is, if they flame out again, and this time it really does fall apart, well, that's why the Rockets went for as many, going back to that metaphor, as many lottery tickets as they can get. And it could flame out.
0: Yeah, Although,
1: for the short term, they have a better chance of being great than if they came up with some sort of trade involving Durant. So for now, they could also be great. I'm
0: glad you're on my side with this because I because I was thinking the same thing. In fact, I wrote it when, when Durant requested the trade. I'm like, this is the highest point in value for those Brooklyn picks. When Kevin Durant gets traded, those picks are going to sink in value because the Nets are formulating their Kevin Durant trade with the idea in mind that they know... That they have these picks out going to Houston. So they're gonna to try to remain good or they're gonna to try to restock their draft covered. Either way, they're never gonna truly bottom out in the same way had they stuck together and perhaps aged out or injured out, the possibility of that happening that remain that, that's that exists right now, that would not exist if they traded Durant and gotten younger.
1: Yeah, well. Then there's another way to look at it. Uh, th- you're going to like this, and I was going to hold this, but I'll write it one day if Durant asks out again. Or the best thing that could happen for the Rockets is if he stays. You know that which now it appears he is. They bomb out. The Nets decide to trade him next summer. It, oh, you know I could do my Brian Windhorse thing since I was we're on camera. Where does it make most sense for the Nets to trade him? Oh, there's only one team that can acquire Kevin Durant and give the Nets the picks of the team that... uh, Yeah, I like that too. You know, if I could throw out the Kevin Durant trade, you could throw out, bring it back, James Harden. Uh, But you know what? If he's not sensational this year, which and therefore would come back does he have enough left in the t- do you start worrying he has enough left in the tank and if he's so good that you don't worry about that well then doesn't he stay there
0: i see i i'm starting to realize that I, i'm thinking about james harden in an entirely different way than other basketball writers are in that i think that james harden's going to be fine like i think he's going to be i do too a top, a top 10 player again next year and like i kind of like, do too Right, and like when I when other people talk about him, it's like there seems to be a doubt there, and I it feels so wrong to be so confident in it when you see when you looked at how, how bad he looked last year. But a lot of it was like I just believe he was hurt fundamentally. I believe he was playing hurt, like through a lot of pain with those hamstrings, and yeah. nobody gave him the the time to recover that they seem to give to like other players that get hurt with these injuries. Like every, we always say, hamstrings t- are tricky; they take time, they take time. But when Players get hurt. We can't seem to pull ourselves back and, and say that again. Like, hamstrings are tricky. They take time. Like, Chris Paul, when he was in Houston, right, tears his hamstring in the, in the conference finals, has a pretty off year the following year. And then the next year, I don't think it was vegan diet Chris Paul. I think it was, oh, my hamstring is good now, Chris Paul, right? Like, I, I think it takes guys time to recover from these injuries. So, I, yeah, I mean... You know, maybe I'm a little deluded in thinking that James Harden's gonna be fine, but that's why uh, you know it never even comes to mind. Like, oh, he's not gonna be fine. So, what, what, what then?
1: You know, maybe. Well, I I agree with you. I think he's going to be much more of James Harden for a combination of the reasons you're explaining. The Chris Paul example. I, you know, I don't know that he or James were in pain the year after it, but they didn't have the pop. Chris Paul couldn't beat anybody off the dribble that year. And he he doesn't rely on that. So people put that aside, but he definitely has been moving better ever since because he did change his diet and his, his workout regimen and training regimen, James Harden. Okay. He might probably is still eating hamburgers or whatever else. I don't know what he, actually I do know what he likes and he did eat red meat. Um, And I bet he still is, but he's, I'm sure he is working and training to be in much better shape than what he was last year when he could not train that way. And people have always overlooked James Harden trains hard. You know, guys would get traded here and they would tell you, I thought he was just a partier. He, his workouts are unreal. You know, even guys who are amazing athletes, Russell Westbrook would watch him after games you know, where Harden would do stuff after games and would do stuff. He'd do the exact same thing after every game. Uh, Harden it does not change his routine for anything. And they're, they're just a where uh, Or Austin Rivers told me one time he does heavy lifts. Uh, guys go in the weight room and they talk and they sit at this and they walk to here, unless the strength coach is right there on them. He goes in there and he's working and it's heavy lifts. I don't think he was able to do the kind of training that he likes to do, that he has over the years often, not always, but often done. Now I believe he is. So as with Chris Paul, I believe the second year after the hamstring injury, he is going to look much more like it. But then that brings back to your, we'll throw it out there because it's off season (laughs) thing is yeah, but if he's that good, don't the Sixers make a run? Don't they become contenders? And if that's the case, doesn't he stick around Philadelphia?
0: Well, if he's that good, doesn't he want a better contract than what he's currently signed to?
1: Yeah, but they' get him. they can do it.
0: Yeah, they can do that, but he would opt out, right? It's like the the, the optionality to change teams still remains. like it's not like he's going to ever like if he, if he has that amazing year that, that we're theorizing that optionality will always be there right is they, and that's all i'm saying is that optionality like you know we're talking about these free aging classes like they're crap the next two i wouldn't i wouldn't just i wouldn't say that so quickly i wouldn't say it so quickly because i just i just think that guy that guy is good enough to be the best player in a free agency class and headline a free agency class and you can't say that about all but like five or six players in the NBA. So, you know, I that, that I don't know oh, if he's uh, coming
1: here to be Kevin Porter Jr.'s backup. Maybe, right?
0: Yeah. Um, so last time you were on the show, you were also here pre-draft. And I figure you know, we can we can go there. I think it's pretty clear the Rockets were expecting for Paolo Banchero to be the guy that falls to the met number 3. Like all the pre-draft reporting indicated that Orlando was taking Jabari and that Oklahoma City was taking Chet leaving the Rockets with Paulo. But as everyone knows now, that's not what happened. Orlando took Paulo, OKC held on to Chet, and the Rockets ended up with Jabari. I have two questions. One, were you, a- were you ever able to ascertain how the top of their draft board was ordered? I asked you that last time. I know it was pretty unclear at the time. Well,
1: No, they, they, no, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Like, way back when, in the day, Rudy Tomjanovic once asked okay, who do we take first? If we had the first pick, who would we take? And they didn't do the real work, but the guys in the room said, eh, we'd probably take Eddie Griffin. And then Eddie Griffin was there and they made a deal and they got him, actually. But that's who they actually said. Well, but they didn't do the work because they didn't, I mean, they did the work to know where they'd want him if they got him where they did, of course, but not at the first pick because they weren't anywhere near that. Well, the Rockets they made sure they checked the boxes to know they'd be happy with all three guys. And, but they didn't get as much medical information and on Chet Holmgren as they would have had they held, held the first pick or the second pick, but certainly not the first pick. Um, but they were, they would have been okay. If he was third, I think they would have been okay with that, but they didn't say, okay, who do we, who would we pick first? If we were picking first, because they were third and they knew they were happy with any of the three now they also believed until that afternoon that it was going to be paulo and he was good with that and he believed that i mean that it would be it would have been terrific in a lot of ways this can also be terrific in different ways but uh, they They were very happy with what they were going to get, so they didn't sit there and think, "Okay, but what would we do if we went first? They never actually really broke it down that way
0: so do you think if they had gotten the medical information on Chet, they would have entertained the idea of moving up to number
1: one so they would take him to
0: take him specifically not not to I, not to take not to move up in general
1: Well, I think no that I think they were very happy with Palo to where they would not have done that, although they did. Put feelers out about that. They, you know, that never went anywhere. And that's when they kind of got the idea. Okay, Orlando's picking first. They, they they reached a point where they were very happy with what they thought was going to happen, and then right. didn't. And uh, you could see why. I, mean, I I you and I talked about that. There was some. There was a stretch where people were down on Palo Banquero, and I never I really understood it. it.
0: Yeah, never understood it. I, I still don't understand it. Looking back on it, like it, it honestly makes me angry thinking looking, looking back on it because the criticisms were so damn stupid it was basically <laughs> oh he has a a weakness that was the criticism like ba- if you if you were to dumb it down to to one sentence that was what it was that was the criticism on him and for everybody else oh we can ignore these weaknesses because we like these strengths so much more that we're able to ignore it. Like right, right like with, with Jabari with ball handling or with Chet with the weight. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, but you know, we're fine with it. And for some reason with Paulo, it dogged him down to such a point that no one was able to ever conceive of him as the number one overall pick up until the last few weeks where people actually started to entertain it. Which is like, yes, of course you should have always entertained it. Right. And not not to say that the GM has never entertained it, but then, you know, in I'm talking about media circles that was never a, an entertainable number one number one pick until the last couple of weeks and you know i it, it was really infuri- infuriating to read all that stuff but that's over with the rockets drafted jabari so my second question is how internally how do you how do the rockets feel about jabari in general like he certainly seems to be a great on paper fit for their roster but ceiling wise how good do they think he can be
1: well i don't know that I've asked or they've said exactly. In other words, I don't know that they've worded it that way. Well, I I do know all three guys. So I did ask at one point, um, and I got a feel for the chance of any of those three guys to be the MVP candidate type of guy is not as high as it was the year before, with what they got, you know, with Jalen Green, or maybe I don't know, but maybe what they thought of Cade. C- yes, I do know uh, Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green. The chances, the odds of it are not great. It's not great for any human walking around to be the kind of guy who changes your life. Even you know, maybe LeBron was. Who knows? Maybe Victor Wembanyama is. But uh, generally, the odds aren't great that he's that anybody you're drafting is going to be that you know all time great type. But the chances were better a year ago. But these guys have a chance, you know, uh, whatever percentage you put on it. Uh, Paolo's physical attributes, you know, he's a really big man to do what he does physically. You know, the, the way he can move, the way his touch and feel and vision, his vision's fantastic to be that big and, and to be, you know, a point power forward or center. He can be that. You know, Chet obviously has his physical advantage, his incredible length, the way he can move at that length. With Jabari, he's ridiculous potential defensively. He can be so good defensively to be a knockdown shooter. And really, he is a tall, long guy. Uh, and that, that really hit the Rockets as they looked at him. as Man, he, he's got great length, that he's not, you know, he, it's serviceable length. In other words, he's not just tall, but he doesn't play that way. No, he's got great length. And, so, and his great attribute of being a ridiculous defensive player, potentially, uh, he has a chance to be very special. But whether, if you want to say what the ceiling is, it's too soon to really know. It's just the chances of getting to the greatness ceiling is what they kind of talk about.
0: Yeah, so their second pick, uh, the guy they took at number seventeen, everything you heard about Tari Eason uh, going into the draft was that he was this great athletic defender, and, and he was an analytics darling. You kept on hearing that over and over again, and it's kind of hilarious. Like for the second year in a row, the Rockets have taken the analytics darling midway through the draft. Uh, last year with Shengoon, and this year with Eason. Um, so two questions here again. Um, you know, how deeply do analytics still play a role in Houston's decision making? Uh, Now that Daryl has gone, because I think we all know that the number two guy uh, in that front office, Eli Wittes, comes from an analytics background. But the main guy, the main thing that we know about Rafael is that he is this deal making guy with a law law background. Right. So presumably very good with the CBA and presumably very good at making trades. Um, And as far as, you know, you know, his fascination with numbers, we don't I don't really know much about that. Right. Uh, Second question. So Woj reported on draft night that they considered Easton to be the best defender in the draft and that they liked his ability to switch and play with aggression. Does that line up with what you heard?
1: Yeah. uh, Very much that that they like, especially the last thing you said, ability to switch and play with aggression. And the way they were wording it is to make plays defensively. That, you know, he not, doesn't just, he's in position and he's always going to, compete and therefore uh, the guy he's matched up against will more often miss than if that guy was against someone else. No, he's also going to get deflections. He's going to get loose balls. He's going to block shots. He's going to get out of position and then be so quick and play so hard that he makes up for it anyway. Uh, he, he really he has potential to be all over the place It's <laughs> in a good way. He's sort of like the cornerback who intentionally lays off the receiver he's to get the quarterback to throw there and then has such incredible closing speed that he makes a play. Tyree Eason makes plays defensively and that's what they really liked about him. He also partly because of that, he he can be a little foul prone and he has to develop his way out of that. But uh, defensively, they really like the potential. He can finish. He plays really hard, he, and he, he, which also uh, Jabari Smith, you know, he competes. You know, he, Jabari Smith offensively. It's like, this is all that matters to me. And Tyree's got some of that too. And they also like the idea that that's the way the league plays now, especially in the postseason. And it sounds like, really? You're talking about the team that had the worst record in the league the last two years, but eventually they would like to be in the postseason. And, to be able to switch as many positions as possible is huge in the postseason where teams more than style of basketball is force a switch and then attack the favorable matchup, go at the guy you, you're you choosing to. The Rockets like the idea, yeah, we're going to switch everything anyway. That's all, That's what we want to do. And you're not going to find a weak link to attack, they hope. Ideally. And if those two guys eventually are playing major minutes, I don't know which one you call the four, which one you call the three. I don't know that it, or maybe even a five in a lot of lineups. I don't know that it matters, but they look like they can switch like crazy and really compete. It's sort of a different version. Cleveland last year had two big men on the court at once. One was an unusually, a, a, very unusually good defensive rookie well they have a chance of having two really good front court defensive players who are both rookies and then that's one more thing i'll add to that is that all that said really hard to rely on rookies to carry your defense (laughs) to lead your defense it's probably not a real good idea but that's what they envision down the road
0: Maybe I missed it. Did you answer that first question?
1: Well, it's got to tell me what it was again.
0: Okay, no problem. Uh, I asked, uh, how deeply do analytics still play a role? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, uh, Rafael. Definitely. Very. He, he, I, I don't want to say to analytics and that he, he does scout and he's big on video scouting. Uh, that's more his thing that he, he likes to studied the, the video more than probably in person, but he absolutely uses the analytics. He, he's he'll dive deep into it. He'll want a lot of information. Eli does come with that background, but he is also kind of their cap guy in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, there's not a cap guy in the way they're set up, but, uh, he's very much that he's not just a numbers cruncher on the analytics at all. And they still have their big analytics team of people, um, the big department, but no, Rafael definitely uses it all. And I think he probably would use the same sort of philosophy that Daryl used where I asked Daryl once what because they had like three years in a row, they drafted a guy that the analytics did not. The reason the guy slipped is because the analytics weren't there and Daryl drafted him. And he said, well, it's because the scouting loved him. And I said, well, what happens then if the scouting, you know, the on the, the eyes on the player, traditional scouting says, grab him, but the numbers say, don't, what do you do? And he said, we do deeper analytics till we find out what the truth really is. And we go deeper and deeper with the analytics And I think that probably would apply to Rafael as well. Okay, maybe the first look on the numbers didn't pan out. But there's a reason the eye test did. So let's keep looking, dig deeper, keep digging deeper. Uh, I I would think he would agree with what Daryl said that day.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I kind of look at Josh Christopher as a very much like a analytics versus eye test guy because i a- from the eye test. Like Josh Christopher, it, it, like plays with such a swagger and, and brings such an energy to the team. And then you look at the numbers, and it's like, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel, I must have I must have inputted the wrong guy's name. And like you know, that's it's part of the reason why I was like, oh, I'm surprised they took him at 24. It, it seems like a pretty high that this organization would take him at but you know you watch them play again it's totally different but you know it, it is it is interesting to see like they just they haven't really abandoned like their core principles as an organization even though they've had so much turnover not only just from the top like throughout the organ- throughout the front office they've had a lot of people get hired away to other organizations and they still seem to have you know that deep philosophy uh, in you know with the advanced metrics and obviously you um, they seem reliant on fun films, well.
1: Yeah, well, and they're they're out there t- as well, uh, and they they have eyes on players. Uh, I'm sure the Ed Pinkney, Chuck Hayes, Matt Bullard expense reports would indicate that they're on the road an awful lot. Uh, so the, they they do they're out on the road as well. And You know, that was the other thing. It was, it was always, you know, Daryl was proud to be referred to as the analytics guy. And he had no problem with that, but he was on the road constantly. He, he, and you know, almost more than any other GM was, he actually did scouting all over. He went to Europe. And I asked him about that once where your reputation is you're the analytics guy. And yet you're in the gym. And he said, you know, I thought every, when I first started, I thought every GM was that way because that's how Danny Ainge was. And so I thought, that's how you do it. And so that's how I did it. And now that's how I like to do it. That's how I work. And Rafael was also out there, as they all are. But he does especially more and more and more as you get to the draft. He relies very heavily on video. And he's been open about that, too, that, you know, these individual workouts where you see the guy for an hour, hour and a half, I'm supposed to put more weight in an hour and a half than I did in, 33 games of video, you know, those are probably more valuable than the hour and a half or the 20 minute or however long it is uh, sit down that they do in Chicago or when they have them in their own facility, which obviously is a lot more than 20 minutes. But, you know, I know, for example, though, the Tari Eason one was in Chicago. And I actually talked to Tari Eason in Chicago the day, he met with the Rockets. And uh, Rafael was not part of that group that did that initial interview session with a player they ended up taking. Now, Eventually, Rafael, of course, did have his interview with him. But, you know, I think Tari was real high on the Rockets, and the Rockets were real high on him from Chicago on.
0: Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Like, to believe how many good defenders were in this draft and they they consider him to be, like, one of the best. Like, I mean, hell, like, even the guy they drafted is considered to have, like, elite defensive upside. Um, I mean, I guess that just speaks to the kind of defensive, you know, talent that was in this draft.
1: Yeah, and it's a good way to build, especially when, uh, I mean, their defense didn't end up as bad as it was overall last year, but overall they were last defensively. There's nothing they need to improve. Maybe I don't think there is anything they need to improve more desperately than defense. Maybe you can make an argument taking care of the ball, which is also a big problem of their defense. You know, they took care of the ball so horribly that their defense was at a disadvantage. Most possessions. Um, but are oh, those two things, nothing they need to improve more. So obviously picking a couple guys with terrific defensive potential uh, makes a lot of sense, even if you're not drafting for need or based on your own shortcomings at any one moment.
0: So the tie Tai Washington thing is, thing is interesting because uh, I'm not sure how you felt about it. I didn't think that Houston got a good return at, on the initial Christian Wood trade, and then they turned that you know that first round pick into another first round pick in two seconds. And I'm like, okay, this is much better than what what I see what they seem to be getting before, and. You know what made it even better is like I I thought TyTy Washington should have been higher than where he was selected. He like I I I thought he was like listen he wasn't one of my favorite players but like I twenty six it just seemed way too low. I I don't know why he fell that low considering like how like weak the point guard talent was in that draft and like how capable he seemed to be especially when he got right. He was dealing with injuries like that entire college season and he still played pretty well especially shooting the three ball uh which you know a lot of people were concerned with and he shot like 35 percent from three so i i, I like that pick honestly and, and i i was surprised i mean did you ever did you ever find out like why he he to he seemed to fall so far on draft night? No. i saw some projections uh, of him in in the lottery
1: yeah i saw a few there actually a lot of people put him with the rockets at, at in the at middle yeah at right. 17 and uh but I did not ever really ask. I didn't really look, okay, why did he fall to where he did? But obviously, great value. You know, a guy who was evaluated pretty universally as worthy of a pick 10 spots at least to earlier, it's pretty easy to see he has potential to be a really good rotation player. And So you get him late. And I, I can understand why you'd feel like you traded Christian Wood for a late first-round pick. Right. Uh, that's the best you could do because the players they got really aren't in their long range plans. And so, but it worked yeah. out, you know. So sometimes things do. And it worked out because they got a guy. Like if they had traded Christian Wood for the 18th pick or the 16th pick and took Ty Ty Washington, you'd say, okay, good job. You do. So it kind of worked out anyway. And you got a couple future second rounders.
0: Tai Tai hadn't fallen or if they hadn't completed that that deal to move down and get those seconds I would still be pretty negative on that trade now I feel like you know they got like median return on on that Christian Wood deal I still think they should have traded him earlier but that's that's besides the point Um,
1: well there's also a very good chance they couldn't then get even what they did or get more than what they did so they kept waiting
0: it depends on how early they started looking for trades (laughs)
1: Well, Yeah, even like before last season even started.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, what, that's when I thought about Houston, you know, should probably move Wood at some point. <laughs> and I was like surprised that they didn't really think about it, seemingly, until last year's trade deadline.
1: Yeah, I don't know that whether they could have done better. I would think they could have. Um, you know, his numbers are always good. But again, I, don't, I hate to word it this way because it sounds like Blaming Christian Wood for the way the team was in his two years, which is, of course, ridiculous. You can't blame him. But he wasn't the solution either. And maybe that's a lot to expect, but, well, you're the center of the team with the worst defense in the league. Uh, He definitely was not the solution, and uh, it makes sense to try something else, especially as he goes into his last season under contract. He can't have a great deal of confidence he would have become their long-term answer there. And so, yeah. but do you take, you got him at a good price, which they certainly did. His, his contract was fine. Uh, do you take a year, never look, a, a, a second look for a second season? Especially, you know, people forget everything collapsed, not when James Harden was traded, but when Christian Wood got hurt. You know they they had won I believe it was seven of eight before he wrecked his ankle in Memphis that day and then they lose twenty straight and so that's when it fell apart. There was a time where it was working.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of the Christian Wood trade, uh, and you you mentioned training camp, Um The Rockets are sitting at eighteen players on the roster right now. Can I assume they haven't cut any of these Dallas guys yet because they don't have to and it's always helpful to have extra bodies in training camp? Or could they be holding out on possible trades where they could consolidate some of these contracts to get a more si- sal- you know, sizable salary?
1: Well, they could do that now. They've reached that point where it's long enough since the Dallas trade where you can do that. No, um, well, what you said is exactly why they're holding on. It's, you know, it why just release them they have no need um, there's nothing happening in early September where ooh, we need the roster spots so yes that's why although uh, bobon as you know and pretty clear they they'd like him on the roster they, they there's situations where the, the rebounding is just falling apart, just go out there and get the rebounds where offensively settle down, let's settle us down, let's we'll throw it into Boban. He can produce Boban can't be really good for long minutes, but he produces. And so they, they do want, they like the idea of having him on the roster, but generally, no, those guys are on the roster because why not? Maybe something comes up and they could use the salary. Uh, I would, not expect them to be on the opening ro- night roster except for Boban.
0: Is it safe to assume that Bruno Fernando is going to be one of their two ways?
1: Yeah, very good chance unless things shake out enough to where he, he gets a standard contract. Um, I like it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to,
0: I, I, I like think he's lot. worth
1: a longer yeah, look too. Obviously, Shangun is, is the starter. They want major minutes out of him. Boban is sort of a a specialist in certain situations. They absolutely still intend to use the small lineups, as these days everybody does. Um, They even have a few more small lineups than they used to. Uh, They could even go, you know, it's a way to increase Jabari Smith and and Tyree Eason's minutes is using them in the small lineups using them with, with Jay Sean Tate, regardless of what you, who you call the center in that group. Uh, no, they're not looking to add uh, another center besides that, I don't think. Um, and as you said, they do have a two-way if they needed another center on the team who, uh, I mean, he's not signed to a two-way contract. It, it's an Exhibit 10, I believe. But, right. uh, you know, obviously that could be converted to a two-way and a very good chance that's where Bruno Fernando's role becomes.
0: So uh, you mentioned the big rotation. Uh, Kelly Eco, of the Athletic, reported earlier this summer that KJ Martin had requested a trade out of Houston. Uh, let me start here. Um, I can see why KJ may be concerned about his playing time and getting lost in the shuffle, considering the Rockets just drafted two forwards in the first round and retained Jay Sean Tate. But I have no idea like what his strategy is here. Like, it's not like he's a star player that's a pending free agent and I can threaten to leave the franchise like and hold it over everybody. This is a guy who was who's like kind of a nice little surprise in the second round and is on a rookie-scale contract. He has absolutely no leverage. And because this information got out, the Rockets have lost some leverage in every trade involving KJ because every team now knows he wants out. That makes him less likely to get traded. So this request and subsequent leak of the request makes no sense to me. I don't understand the strategy here. How did? The, how do you think the Rockets manage the situation?
1: Well, you're not getting much for, for him anyway. You know, whether it got out or not out, whether he wants out or doesn't, it, it, you're not getting much. He, he was a late second-round pick who's gotten backup minutes with the worst team in the league for two years. You're not getting much. If you're getting anything, uh, you get a protected second-round pick, uh, so it doesn't matter uh, what gets out. Uh, you know, he, I understand why he would feel like he can get lost in the shuffle when they draft two guys who basically play his position uh, in the first round. And, and they and take Tate, Tate. Yeah. Smith and, and, uh, well, no, they already had jason Yeah. You're <laughs> keeping yeah. him. They love yeah. him. And yeah. so, I mean, that, he, there, he's, he's back and playing regular minutes. He's playing starters minutes. And so there's. you're right. It's very easy for KJ to be lost in the shuffle is a good way to put it. Um, it'd be interesting to see. He has improved in some ways. And if he's young guy and he has some physical tools, it'd be interesting to see if he continues to improve. Uh, it doesn't hurt the Rockets to just hang on to him and look at him because it's not, uh, they don't feel pressure to get what they can at the best time. You're not getting much. And as we have seen in many ways with many players, general managers don't change dramatically their evaluation. Um, it, it's not like it's, it's Kawhi Leonard taking 15th who becomes, you know, finals MVP Kawhi Leonard. You know, they, okay, I guess we were wrong on him. They're they're a little slow to change their evaluation dramatically. And uh, I don't think he's at that point yet. Maybe, obviously, I think you look at him and you think, well, that's a lot better than a guy taking 55th. But that doesn't mean general managers are going to, you know, make you an offer you can't refuse for a guy that they were happy to not take for so many picks.
0: Yeah. The, the only way I could see him getting traded at this point would be uh, like so one of those, uh, consolidation <laughs> trades that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. like him being kind of a sweetener for another trade or him being a part of a, a massive swath of contracts headed somewhere for a, a significant piece of salary. Um, you know, that kind of trade, I can't see it being a one for one trade. Like, I just, I just, I don't think he's that kind of player. I think, uh, you know, if, like, I don't think there's any interest on Houston's side in acquiring, like, a second-round pick or whatever uh, he nets back. Um, I just, I don't, I don't see it. Like, it, I, and that's why the, the request was so odd to me. That's why, like, leaking it was, like, again, even more odd because it's, like, you're not getting anything out of the leak. All of it was just odd. It's just, just, just an odd free agent story all around.
1: Well, yeah, I think you're right that it. If- if he would be part of a package where he has some value, if, if he's on the right team in the right situation and you can feel like, okay, we can, he can be productive for us. I could see him being included in a deal, but you get this time of year where everybody's roster has more players on it than you can bring into the season. You're worried about how do we cut guys? Do we add another guy that we have to find out what he is, what he can be for us? It's a tough time now to start adding guys who aren't immediately in your rotation, or you're not real clear on where he fits. Everybody has a lot of those. Um, But I do think he can be productive. In the right situation, he can be very productive. It'll be interesting to see also is what he can be defensively uh, if he gets minutes, regardless of where that is, because he did improve defensively in his second year. Um, where he didn't block anywhere near as many shots. He didn't have the spectacular block the 7-2 guy as often. But part of that was because he was positioned so much more regularly. Uh, He wasn't coming from nowhere so often. He was better defensively. Um, He shot better uh, as a catch-and-shoot three. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if he makes the next steps, if he gets the minutes to show that.
0: Yeah, again, I like KJ. It's just like this 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 whole story came out of nowhere for me and it, like I was just like I don't understand it. It was weird. It's just a weird story all around. Um so let's end on this. What is the biggest story for the Rockets in your opinion heading into training camp?
1: Uh, well, do you mean what will be for the year or just at training camp? For
0: for, for the year, for the year. Or you can Jaylen training Green. camp if you have something specific. Jaylen yeah, Ray, if it's for know.
1: the season, Jalen Green. Is, is Jalen Green, Not, he's more important than everybody because he has potential yeah. to be special. He, he really does. He, he works hard. He's ambitious as can be. Uh, he, he's so talented. He's very. He has a chance to be really special. So the, the biggest story of the season uh, from where we sit now, looking ahead to the season, it's. I think it's Jalen Green. Uh, and he's in his second year. Uh, so even though, okay, he's 20, <laughs> he's really young, and he's in his second year, but that's at least more than Jabari Smith at 19 in his first year. To where if Jabari Smith needs more years or we don't know yet, that's no big deal. You know, it it's or if he's great right away or shows great potential right away, that's terrific too. But you don't have to see that. Jalen, it, you just feel like everything that he shows you that you have not seen or that indicates what else might happen in his career, that's the biggest thing with the Rockets because he's he. I think he has a chance to really be special. I, I always used K.J. Martin, who we talked about earlier as an example, Houston fans have totally bought into the idea of what this team is doing, or at least the ones who go to games have. To where, you know, they're getting blown out. They're down 19 in the, you know, seven minutes left. K.J. Martin will do a, you know, chin-up dunk. Or in the Alpi example, he'll make some no-look pass. And the place will cheer like crazy. Oh, you cut the lead to 17. Because they get that so much of it is about what you're trying to build and that they are building and here's the plan. Rockets have done a good job of communicating the plan and that they have one and so on. Do people remain that understanding this year? Do people or do they start wanting to see some more results in the win-loss column?
0: I think this is the year they probably need to take a little bit of a step up. Like they, they just can't be the worst team in basketball again. Like that, that's like, it's it's pretty untenable as an organization for that to happen three years in a row. Like you look at examples throughout NBA history. Usually, when that happens, it's dark to say. That's kind of when the heads roll, and you don't want that to that happen, right? Especially because you know we know some of these guys. These guys are really good people, right? Fun, you know, likable. You don't you don't want to see that happen. So I think it's, on some level they do need to be better than where they were last year. They don't need to be they don't need to be gangbusters. They don't need to be a playing team. But can they win thirty games? Can they win twenty seven yeah. games? You know, twenty seven games like that's seven more than where they were last year. I think that's you know a reasonable expectation of, of for them.
1: Mm, I, even that's going to be really tough. They're they're in some ways even younger. Uh, they're so young. Uh, Because they, you know, they drafted three picks in the first round. They're going to play, or at least a couple of them. And if they don't play all three, then they're playing Dacian Nix. You know, spent almost a whole year in the G League, and so they're incredibly young. And but that's the plan. That's what they want to be. Uh, It's good. And then there's two ways to look at the schedule because it's absolutely brutal through Christmas. It's just ridiculous Uh, does it just beat them down so bad do they go off in another one of these long losing streaks that you're just feeling awful or do you slog through the best you can maybe you win some maybe have some success which would be a a good sign of progress and development and is it better to have a schedule this front loaded to where you're going to lose early anyway you're so young, maybe you're better off playing the teams that are going to beat you when you would lose to anybody. And then when you're ready to do something, when you're ready to play a little better and maybe win some games, you have teams you can beat and a schedule that you can make work for you. It's going to be really key not to be demoralized by the way things are early.
0: Are you, are, are you in a roundabout way suggesting that they should? it's good that they're setting the bar low early?
1: I, I don't exactly know what they're of. setting it as they're, they're gonna no, 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 no. i mean i always say well i'm setting it you yeah. know and i think they'll continue like i do think they want to have more success and they want to have a chance at that they, they go on with the program and they understood that but you want to have some success it's hard to lose as much but you draft three players in the first round. They do like Knicks a lot. He's almost like two years in a row having four first-round picks in their mind. Well, you know, that's eight guys. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot of young people to have to play. And, okay, they're not going to play them all because I don't think they're going to play Washington and Knicks consistent minutes. Not both of them. But that's still seven really young guys in a rotation. Two, seven first or second year players, all drafted as he now, not all as teenagers, all as teenagers or 20 years old. Um, so, if you keep playing them all, there's very little reason to expect all of a sudden you're going to win a whole bunch of games. Yeah. And yeah. how do you get through those first two months and stay? You know, I think it's, Silas doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but they have improved individually a lot. You can look at guys and we can all point to things. He does this better. He's better at this. This is the way he's improved. Well, They haven't gotten beaten down by the losses as we have seen losing teams throughout history do to where that gives them a chance to make the rebuild work. Uh, does that keep happening in a third year the way that schedule is in the first two months?
0: Yeah it's, it's going to be a really really fascinating year for the rockets like I, I think i mean like i like get always is, i just think i think this is one of those years where it's like this is probably the, the last year that fans will probably hold as much patience as you're describing you know at the ones at the games you know getting excited about uh you know second round picks getting into the game and dunking like i think this is probably the last year that they keep that patience and you know maybe it turns a little ugly I, I i hope i hope you know at some point they turn things around because again I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it turn ugly. I don't. Uh, but you know, for right now, they're playing with house money because they're getting. They still have their first round picks. Uh, there is no real incentive for them to win right now. But you know, again, the I, I do think there is an incentive for them to get better right now. Um, and all they have to do is just go out there and prove that they have something to root for. And. You know that that's just about the easiest thing you can do in the NBA. It's very easy to to supply hope, right? Because hope is, you know, it's very vague. You can you you can use, you know, different things. You can use wins. You can use plays. You can use stats. You can use a, a broad range of things to supply hope. And so that's going to be something that's going to be very achievable achievable for
1: the Rockets. Um, well, the used over the years, uh, you know, going back to when I covered colleges. 25 years ago Uh, hope is the oxygen of sports it's why draft night it's why national signing day all of those things drive so much interest because it's hope uh the rockets have done a really good job of providing that while losing so much while starting over um and i hope people kind of understand that for at least one more year if jabari smith starts the way jalen green started will he be given to whatever degree there was a benefit of the doubt? Jamie Green had a lot of people questioning him too, though. You know, oh, did they mess up? You know, it was that talk too, which was ridiculous that early. You don't, you know, 19-year-olds progress at different pace. Javari Smith might as well. But I hope because he's the third year of a losing team, he's given as much leeway to develop at his pace as Jalen Green did and as some as young people need and then the next year you know you just got to keep seeing progress uh, you know and what would be very good to see is if when the schedule balances out because as brutal as it is early it does balance out as schedules do that you start to show the progress on the court you don't have to look and see this guy's one-on-one defense this guy's understanding of schemes no you can just see the scoreboard eventually maybe that's where they reach that at some point during the year if they can just keep their keep with the program long enough for those improvements to translate a little bit on the scoreboard
0: yeah and listen like i was a, a mobley over green guy and i i never at no point did i ever Take declare victory laps uh, when Jalen was struggling because it, it's so dumb to do that. I and yet people do it every year. Uh, the Trey Young with the uh, Luca Luca year, like that. That people were declaring victory laps early that year. The Anthony Bennett and Lamelo Ball thing, like it just happens year after year. And I really hope that doesn't happen with Jabari. E- even again, like I had Jabari solidly number three on my board. Some people have a number one. I'm not gonna, you know. I'm not going to tr- like clown on those people if, if Jabari comes out and struggles because I still think like he has a decent case for number 1, right? And like I think it's one of those things where I'm going to give it the entire season and then some of next year because really it takes like two sometimes 3 years to really understand what a player is going to be in the NBA. So I'm I just think it's re- really presumptuous to make those kind of declarations early.
1: Well, that and you know, I think that the uh, we were talking about they're fun to watch in a lot of ways I'm you know I guess they're fun every team is if you look hard Um I think he's interesting I think he's very interesting For one thing I, it's cool to see a guy come in that committed defensively so I, I, I and if he can be effective defensively that can get him time if he needs it who knows he also might hey, you just catch and shoot, play off other guys and knock down threes. It's not a bad way to start. He didn't show that in Las Vegas, but I obviously think he will. Um, that's not a bad way to start, 19-year-old rookie. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him as well. Especially you know, not as well, obviously. Uh, he'd be really good to watch develop.
0: Certainly. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jonathan. Uh, where can we follow you on social media and read your great work?
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna you know, jump back in on Monday. I've been off for a while, so I'm looking forward to starting to our coverage get going again. As always, you know, HoustonChronicle.com and my I put links always on Twitter. Actually, it's a lot more automated, but I also try to get more on Twitter. And that's just my name, Jonathan_Fagan. Uh, is on Twitter and thank you for uh, inviting me to share that uh, but yeah looking forward to Monday uh, starting to get back on it
0: absolutely what was the podcast name again?
1: Uh, the Texas Sports Nation podcast I guess we'll start mm-hmm. that up too uh, I haven't asked about that but we'll start that up uh, we've been doing it, we did it during the year on Tuesdays and so I've been off for a while and traveling and so on but now that we're in September, I guess it's time for that. It's not as long as this one.
0: <laughs> no, no. Well, sometimes we, we, just, we tend to carry long, but it, it's fine. Who cares?
1: Basketball. Right. That's awesome. Thank